Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We, we will be uh, once again looking at verses 16 through 25. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. This is our Freedom Teaching Series for Freedom Christ Has Set Us Free. Gospel Character Part 2 is what we're looking at this morning. As Christians, we have incredible, incomparable resources for life change. Would you guys agree with that? You did sound very convincing there. Do you guys agree with that? Maybe I need to repeat that because you guys were busy kind of looking for that text, weren't you? Okay, okay, that's a good excuse, good excuse. As Christians, we have incredible and incomparable resources for life change. Do you agree with that? Woo, yeah, absolutely. You might not always feel it and you might not always experience it, but it's true and this text tells us that. And, uh, and so it just makes a world of sense that the creator of the universe would have children who are less and less characterized by the works of the flesh and more and more characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys tracking with me as it relates to that? Yeah, so the works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, what is that about? Well, if you weren't with us last week, uh, you missed a really great message and you need to leave here right now and go out there and download the DB app and listen to it and then uh, come right back in here as fast as you can to finish the rest. No, I don't do that. Uh, but I'm going to bring you up to speed, but I would encourage you at some point to go back and listen to it because we really talk a lot about the works of the flesh last week and today we're talking more about the fruit of the spirit. But the works of the flesh, I kind of made a quick list here is drunkenness and immorality and pettiness and backbiting and gossip and anxiety, bitterness and depression and the list goes on. And so it just makes sense to me that if, if God, the creator, is your daddy, is your father, you're going to be less characterized by that and more characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what I want in my life. I'm sure that you want that also in your life. In Gospel Character 1, last week's message, we learned that a war rages for our hearts. And that's why oftentimes there, there is more of the works of the flesh than the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's because there's a war raging for our hearts. And uh, we learned... Last week, what's the key to winning this war? The key to winning this war is being so happy in Christ Jesus that sin loses its appeal. How many were with us last week and remember me saying that? Show of hands, show of hands, okay. Not very many of you, so, okay, okay. So it's making yourself so happy in God that sin loses its appeal. So what does that mean to be so happy in God? We're gonna look at that today. What does that mean to be so happy in, in God that sin loses its appeal? Now, let me just say something about this life that he, he invites us to. John 10.10, 10, second part of that verse is the theme here at Desert Breeze, that Jesus came to give us life and, and that to a, what kind of life? Abundant. Abundant life, fullness of life, amazing life. And, uh, and here's what I was thinking as I was reflecting on the kind of life that he lives. And he's actually showing us that there's only really two ways we can live life. We can live our life according to the works of the flesh based on the desires of the flesh or the desires of the spirit which produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he's really saying, hey, you're on one of two paths. And sometimes we go back and forth between these two paths. But man, if we could stay on the path of the, of the desires of the spirit and experience more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and, and this is kind of how I would put it, no matter how great your earthly circumstances are, they can never bring you the love, joy, peace that are found in Christ Jesus. 
You guys believe that? Man, I do. I'm convinced of that. So, so all the brains and bucks and brawn that this world could ever give you cannot compare. Whatever you want to put on that side or that list, whatever the best circumstances uh, might be as you would define them, they don't even come close to what you can have through the fullness of life in Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I had someone actually uh, give me this, uh, this quote uh, yesterday. I, I saw that they had posted this after I had posted uh, this teaching that we were going to do, and they said, and no matter how horrible your circumstances are, they can never rob you of the love, joy, peace that are found in Christ. Man, I'm convinced of that. I know that. I've experienced that in my own life. And so this is the life you long for. By the way, this is the life that everyone on this planet longs for. This is the life that we're all looking, that we've been spending our whole life looking for. And this life by grace through faith in Christ is better than we ever deserved and greater than we ever dreamed. In fact, the more you understand this life and really understand the gospel, uh, it will put your dreams to shame. What you kind of wanted in this life is nothing compared to what he offers us through this spirit-led, spirit-directed, spirit-filled kind of life. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. But before we read through our text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we love, we love being here. We love spending time with you. We, we want to know you. We want to grow in our relationship with you. And we thank you, Father, our glorious Father. You not only justify us, you set us free from the penalty of sin, but you sanctify us. You make us whole. You set us free from the power of sin. And, and it's by grace, through faith, in your Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus. And so, Father, as we spend time with you through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, teach us Teach us what it means to be so happy in you that sin loses its appeal and may the fruit of your Holy Spirit take root in our hearts and abound in our lives more and more. We ask these things for your indescribable glory and our indestructible joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Let me, uh, let me read through it. I'm just going to read completely through it. No comments. I, I promise. <laughs> It's hard. it's hard because, man, this is a wonderful text. I've been reflecting on it, thinking about it. We've spent two weeks on it. This is our second week on it, and we're going to be moving on next week, continuing to work through Galatians. But, uh, but he starts off uh, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Man, that's a powerful text, isn't it? That's good stuff. Oh my goodness, let's dive in. Here we go. So, growing the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to look at that, and then we're going to actually go through each of these, the fruit of the Spirit, what that looks like, and oftentimes we have kind of wrong concept of what that is. So, growing the fruit of the Spirit, you can see there on your notes, how can the fruit of the Spirit take root in our hearts and abound in our lives? Number one, remember your identity in Christ. So you've got to remember your identity in Christ. We see that in verse 24 of our text. Keep your Bibles open. You can keep referring back. You can also see there on your notes. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now... The best commentary for scripture is what? Anybody? Scripture, scripture yeah. And so I gave you a couple of uh, these verses that represent our identity in Christ. And the Bible's packed full of identity verses, identity in Christ verses. So there's two of them. Maybe you're familiar with them. I think that some of my favorite, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, those who are in Christ are a new what? Anybody? A new creation. Oh my goodness, do you understand how powerful that is? See, the Christian life isn't about turning over a new leaf. It's about becoming a new person. It's not being an about being a nice person, but it's about being a new person. It's called regeneration. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, boom, instantly, instant status change. You become a child of God. And he places his Holy Spirit within you, among many other things that he, he does in our lives. And so we have a brand new identity and uh, that new creation means that we have new potential, we have new power, we have new privileges that are out of this world. And that all happens because of verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Who's that talking about? Talking about Jesus on the cross. He died, and so we get credit for his perfect life, and we get life from his sacrificial indispensable and costly death. Pretty amazing change in exchange, would you say? I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? That's, that's quite an exchange. And so that's our identity. And, and by the way, most of our, our inordinate, our excessive anxiety, anger, and depression is the result of misplaced identity. When you look at your emotional well-being kind of pegging out kind of a bit and you're getting pretty upset or angry or any number of things, you might want to check to see if you have not misplaced your identity a bit. Because, I mean, think about this. Why would you ever be afraid when you are completely accepted, eternally forgiven, and richly supplied with all that you'll ever need in Christ Jesus? That's our identity. Our identity in Christ. And so you've got to remember that. It can't just be a, something that's in your head. It's got to be deep in your heart. And this takes us to the next one, number two. Crucify the, the over-desires of the flesh. Sinful nature. What is that? Well, I'll explain it to you here. We'll be, we talked a lot about it last week, about this, this war between the desires of the spirit, the desires of the flesh kind of going on. So these, these over-desires. The reason why we call them over-desires is because... Um, Epithumia is the Greek word that when you read through there and he talks about the, 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 the desires of the flesh, it's the, it's the New Testament idea of the Old Testament 
kind of word idolatry. The Old Testament talks a lot about idolatry. Well, this is the New Testament idolatry. It's an, it's a, it's an over-desire. It's a hyper-desire within our hearts. So you've got to crucify the over-desires of the flesh, of the sinful nature. Notice what he says in verse 24 once again. Because we belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what is, what is this flesh? We defined it last week as an empty ego trying to fill itself up on anything in creation, really apart from the creator. What, what it is, it's this empty ego trying to, to get from creation what only the creator can give to you. Now, why would we have an empty ego? Is because, as you've heard me say many times before, when you look back at Genesis 3, we were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and to look into the face of our creator and to find all the worth and the value we would ever need in him. And that was meant to fill us up. But we thought we were smarter than him and we thought that he was holding out on us and so we substituted him for something else. And so what do we do? We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator, Romans 1.25. And so that's, that's what we do. And it, it leaves us empty because that's, that spiritual alienation leaves this psychological alienation. It, it causes us to be empty on the inside. And so instead of coming back to God, we tend to kind of look in creation to try to find a way to, to build our identity and our sense of well-being and our acceptance and security and significance. And, and, we, and it, it doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't last for very long. It's what drives us oftentimes. And, and so you know, empty ego creates these over-desires and over-desires are counterfeit gods, pseudo-saviors, something in creation we think we can't live without that competes for our heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. And it's these over-desires that are rooted in our, our misplaced identity that, that are the reason for most of our bad feelings and our bad behavior, our, our works of the flesh. They all go back to these over-desires. And, and by the way, these over-desires are, and oftentimes you don't even know what they are. It, it can be something that's not necessarily conscious. You're not consciously saying these things, but subconsciously, there's something in your heart that says, man, if I could just get married, or if, or if we could just have kids, or if I could just uh, accomplish this, or acquire that, or if I could do this, I know my life would have meaning. I know my life would have purpose. And we all have those things in our life rather than to go to God, our creator, and, and, to, and to satisfy those desires, those, those over-desires. And not that we, those are bad in, in, in themselves. It's good to have those kind of desires. But when they become an over-desire, almost as a substitute for God, that's when they get us into trouble. And, uh, and so let me ask you this. Let, let me go through. I kind of made a short list. There's a, there's a long list of over-desires. But what's the over-desire of someone who struggles with bulimia or anorexia? What do you guys think? I, this is what I put down. Thinness, body image is their identity or at the center of their life. Does that make sense? You guys track with me? So when you start kind of looking at that, so would you guys say that bulimia and anorexia would probably fit in the category of works of the flesh? Yeah, Absolutely. So that's a failure to go, to go to the creator and say, hey, my worth and value is in you, regardless of what my body size is. And, and rather than to try to get, use your thinness or body image as, as trying to meet that need. How about this one? What's the over-desire of someone who is a workaholic? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to that one. A workaholic. Are you sitting around any workaholics?
Now, there's a whole assortment of things that could possibly be driving a workaholic. The over-desires. Maybe you came up with one of these. Here is my list. Money. It could be money. It can be status. It can be achievement. Either one of those is their identity and at the center of their life. And what's interesting about workaholism, and I've seen it in my own life, I, I tend to be a workaholic even to the expense of my, my health and my family. When you, and that would certainly be a work of the flesh. And oftentimes when you uncover that, you begin to say, hey, wait a minute, do I want status or achievement or money too much? How about this one? What is the over-desire of someone trapped in a cycle of bad relationships? In other words, they keep hooking up with the wrong people. Does that make sense? How many have ever seen that happen? Yeah, I've seen that happen a lot. It's pretty crazy. And so they just keep, man, what? You bad in picking people? Well, it's just kind of this uh, homing instinct. They just tend to consistently do that time and time again. Maybe not just bad people, maybe even abusive people. What would cause someone to be in a cycle of abusive relationships? I mean, what's the over-desire? Here's what I came up with is male or female affection is their identity and or center of their life. Rather than going to God and finding their sense of worth and value in God, they're trying to find it in a relationship. And because of this homing instinct that we all have, we tend to go, to go back to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional. Because we don't know any better a lot of times. So there's something broken inside of us that causes us to do that. Here's my next, my last one I'll do, uh, I'll share with you. What is the over-desire of someone who is devastated by criticism? Hmm, let me ask you this. Let me go a little bit deeper than this. Can you handle criticism? How do you respond to criticism? Now, let me just tell you a little bit about my own life. And, and that is, I didn't handle criticism very well. When my wife would come to me, I would build a wall of anger and push it back. So, so can people even talk to you? So she had to even deal with me, first of all, just by the fact that she couldn't even talk to me without me kind of responding to her and manipulating her through my words and, and all of that. And so can, can people talk to you? Are you open enough to even hear criticism? Do you ask for criticism? Could there be a wall of anger that you throw up that keeps people at a distance? Well, that would tell me that there's something wrong in your life. You're over, there's something, there's an over-desire that's driving that. So what is the over-desire? Because it's one thing to be hurt by criticism. We'll all be hurt, but it's how we respond to it and how we take it in and, and then allow it to make us better people and more in touch with Christ. So what is the over-desire of someone who is devastated by criticism? Probably human opinion or approval or their identity or at the center of their life, or it even could be just having a virtuous, altogether self-righteous kind of an attitude could be promoting that too, just wanting to appear like you always have it all together. How dare you criticize me kind of an attitude, very much like the Pharisees had. And so that's just a few, but, but crucifying, so how do we work through those? I mean, hey, listen, all of us have over-desires, and you need to find out what your over-desire is and your sense of misplaced identity. It's rooted in some form of misplaced identity. You're identifying and getting your identity from your kids or your marriage relationship or, or your thinness or body type or any number of things. But you've got to know what yours are. I know mine. If you've been with us long enough, I, I share with, with you what mine are. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to set up a mic here and we're going to have you come up here one by one. <laughs> And admit your over-desires. And, and if you won't admit it, we're going to bring up your spouse and those closest to you, and they're going to point them out for you. Spouses are really good at that. And those that are closest to you. My wife has helped me with all of mine. And I've accommodated her. 
I've helped her with hers. And, uh, and so, he, when you start dealing with these things, crucifying the flesh, and that's what we're talking about, crucifying the flesh, these over-desires, is more than saying to yourself, I shouldn't be thinking, I shouldn't be feeling, I shouldn't be behaving like this, using fear, what will people think, or God will get me, or pride, I'm better than this, or I don't want to be like those people, to restrain your will. When you use fear and pride to restrain the will that doesn't last, this only deals with the results of a messed up heart, not the messed up heart. And so what we've got to do is we've got to go much deeper and be motivated by what? By the love of Jesus. Fear and pride can restrain the will, but only love transforms the heart. And so this is kind of what, what I've done to try to work through my over-desires, those misplaced dependencies, is to crucify the flesh, these over-desires, is to say, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing, fitness, money, male-female affection, human approval, whatever yours is, whatever mine is. Otherwise, I have no identity, value, or worth. It is a pseudo-savior. But to think and feel and live like this is to forget what I mean to you and how you see me in Christ. By your spirit, I will reflect on your love for me in him until this thing loses its attractive power over my soul. Does that make sense? So, so what I do is when I see myself overreacting to life, and I start asking myself, what's the over-desire that's driving that? Where's my misplaced identity? And then I'll say about that, that's good. It's good to have human approval and opinion, but Jesus, you're better, and only you can satisfy the deepest longing of my soul. You see, what the, see the battle going on? Remember the desires, desires of the flesh, desires of the spirit, so you're, you're working on and you're asking, God, I want, I want to hear from you. I want you to establish the direction of my life, and, and that's all, all part of it. Um, as we, work, as we work on ourselves, and the, the, number three, make yourself so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. That's what you're doing. It's making yourself so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been made alive by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. John 16, 14 tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's job to glorify Jesus. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 talks about the Spirit-filled life. So the Spirit-filled life is really, is what the Holy Spirit does is he increases the reality that God is for us and not against us. Did you know that why, why we're overwhelmed by the trials of life? Anybody ever go through things in life where you just feel overwhelmed by them? Show of hands? Yeah, we all do from time to time. And at those moments, we need the Holy Spirit to remind us that he is for us and not against us, that Jesus is not gonna abandon us. He's, he's with us. He loves us. And so that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are overtaken by temptation sometimes uh, because we forget of his goodness and his love. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can actually help that along and respond and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit because it tells us in Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so when I find my heart chasing after all of these things and the works of the, works of the flesh and the desires of the flesh are just kind of revving up inside of me, as I rejoice in the Lord, what I'm doing is that I'm, I'm rejoicing to the point where I get, my heart begins to rest and find its deepest satisfaction in Christ to the degree that I begin to release my grip on those things I think I can't live without. 
That make sense? You guys tracking with me? That's important. That's that war that's going on within us. And uh, we need to do that. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object, the over-desires we thought we couldn't live without. And, and by the way, the reason why we rejoice in him is not just because he's, he's worth it, he's worthy of it, but listen to me. Everybody look up here. You need to do it for your own psychological and emotional well-being. Because if you love anything more than you love Jesus, you will crush it under the weight of your unrealistic expectations and it will drive you. It will drive you under the ground. It will disappoint you and inevitably it will devastate you. That's a fact. So when I see my heart chasing after all these things and trying to fill my life up on all these things, there's a lot of great things in life but I begin to do that more than I, I, I respond to Christ and live for him and enjoy him. Then I go, oh, this could be dangerous. There's a disappointment there's a devastation around the corner if I continue to do that. I need to keep my heart so filled up with him that I'm able to release my grip on those things in life that I think I can't live without. There's only one thing I can't live without, and that's him. I love that last song we sang, I need you, I need you. That's a, that's a song of, of desperation. That's reality, folks. That's the reality of our lives. We are desperate for Jesus. We need him. Don't wait until you're devastated by by your misplaced identity and over-desires that have taken hold of your life because it's just a matter of time. It's coming. But man, start worshiping him now. Enjoy him now. Find him as the one who satisfies the deepest longing of your soul. That's why we worship. That's why we spend time in, in song and Bible study to kind of recalibrate our hearts and to get us back to where we need to be. And uh, so walking in the spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. And that's why we do spiritual disciplines. Man, if you're not spending time in the word and prayer and hanging out with other fired up Christians, man, I don't know how you're making it because I can't make it. I mean, the works of the flesh just, you know, the desires of, of the flesh just kind of go strong in me. And I need all I can to continue to feed the, the this, the desires of the Spirit so that I can experience more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, I had, uh, Nancy and I started uh, with a Bible study with a couple in our church and then there's a couple outside of our church uh, this last week and it was kind of fun because we're going through a video series by uh, David Paul Tripp and it's his marriage series, What Did You Expect? Sounds like a good title, doesn't it? What Did You Expect? You could take that in a lot of different ways. But uh, we're walking through it, and David Paul Tripp did an illustration I'm gonna share with you here that I thought would fit perfectly with what we're gonna talk about and as it relates to the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and, the, and the problem is, in fact, write these verses down on your notes. These are some additional verses. It's Luke chapter six, verses 43 through uh, 45. How many are familiar with the parable where Jesus said, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit? You guys show of hands, how many? You're familiar with what I'm talking about there? And so, and then he goes on and he says some pretty powerful stuff in that. He just says, what you have to do is that the, the, the root determines the fruit. And he's talking a lot about this whole 
root and fruit. And he says later, he says, the good person out of the good treasure, some translations actually say the good stored up in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures, treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what's in your heart, what's inside, comes out to the outside. You guys tracking with me? That's important. So the reason why that's so important is because we want to think the problem is outside of us, not inside of us. And we have this tendency to blame shift. It's just kind of natural. It dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Remember what he did, the very first thing when he was confronted with his sin? He said, it was that dysfunctional, high-maintenance woman you gave me, God. That's why I'm in the mess I'm in. And so you see this, this blame shifting, or, or we tend to blame our, our rebellious kids. It's these rebellious kids you gave me, God, or it's this grumpy boss that I have to work with, or, or and I've even seen people use their, their chromosomes. It's just my nationality. That's why we're so overbearing. Just deal with it. It's like, so it's your nationality? You're blaming your chromosomes? I mean, and it, so, it's, so it's kind of interesting how we do that. Or we, 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 I've seen people, and I've done this too, we blame our conditioning. My parents put my diaper on too tight when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'm just, even to this day, I have nightmares over that. Ah! And that's why I lashed out at you, okay? I'm still working through it. So we, you know, so we use our chromosomes, we use our conditioning, we use our circumstances. And so we want to, we typically do that. We blame we want to blame what's on the outside of us rather than what's on the inside. And this, uh, this passage tells us, no, 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 our problem is actually what's on the inside. Okay, watch close. Watch close. I'm going to ask you a question right after I do this. Here we go. Okay, Stop. Why did water come out of the bottle? Don't answer it out loud, just think. Why did water come out of the bottle? The natural first instinct is to say, because you shook the bottle. Because you shook the bottle. Let me change my question here and let me change my intonation. Why did water come out of the bottle? What's the answer? Because there's water in the bottle. There's water in the bottle. Some of you are saying because there's no lid. Well, that's true too. <laughs> Don't mess up my illustration here, okay? Because there's water in the bottle. It doesn't matter how much it's shaken or whether it's shaken or not shaken. It's what's in the bottle comes out of the bottle. That's what this text is saying. The text is telling us it's what's inside of us. That whether we respond with works of the flesh or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it comes down to what desires are controlling our life. Is it the desires of the flesh or the desires of the Spirit? If you are shaken by the behavior or words of your spouse or coworkers or, or circumstances of life, what comes out of you, works of the flesh or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, reveals what desires inside of you are winning the battle. I mean, you can blame all day. You want to on your circumstances, on these people, on this or that, but the Bible brings it right back to you. It's what's inside of you. 
And it's either going to be the desires of the flesh or the desires of the spirit. Nothing comes out of you that wasn't already inside of you. And we want to think the problem is outside of us and not inside of us. Circumstances don't change your heart. They only reveal your heart. Those bad circumstances you're going through, they're revealing your heart. They're revealing what the dominating desire is in, in your life. The shaking is not the cause. It's an occasion to reveal what's most important in your life. That is so important for us to understand. I gotta dry my hands off here just for a minute. I mean, that's, that's huge. And, uh, and I'm not saying that you won't be sinned against or that you won't have bad things happen to you. But what I'm saying and what you need to understand from that, that visual aid, that illustration, is that your actions, your reactions, your responses are always caused by what is inside of you. And that's why we started by saying, hey, listen, remember your identity in Christ. Crucify the over-desires of the flesh, the sinful nature, and make yourself so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. And the result of that is that you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it comes down to you. What, which one are you gonna choose? You can do the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes down to what's, what desire is controlling your life, desires of the spirit or the desires of the flesh. And, and we're, gonna, let's, we're gonna take a moment, I'm gonna sit up here, we're gonna relax a bit and I'm gonna walk you through this list just so that we understand what this is about and what he wants to produce in our life. This is a great inventory, but mostly it's an invitation from God of the life that we can experience in him. This is an amazing life that he invites us to. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit this fruit of the Holy Spirit can be abounding in our life. Now, once again, let me remind you of what I shared with you last week is that the sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with those bad desires and you're beginning to feed your, those desires of the Spirit in such a way that they're growing so that you're beginning to see in your life and in your responses to life what's in control of your life and that you have the desires of the, of the flesh or the spirit at heart in your life. So first of all, love. Here's the definition, to serve others for their good and intrinsic value, not for what they bring to you. So it's just strictly just to, to give to folks. Now, why would anybody do that? This is, this is real love, to serve others for their good and intrinsic value, not for what they bring to you, because you already have your prize, your treasure in Christ. You're filled up. You're filled up in him. And so this is an overflow of your life. What's the opposite? Fear, self-protection, abusing people. The counterfeit? Selfish affection. So it's affection towards others, but it's very selfish. There's a couple of different ways that this can manifest in our lives. One is by rescuing someone, but really rescuing self. A lot of people that are pastors and leaders and involved in ministry and first responders and, and uh and also uh, people that are police officers sometimes in uh, medical industry and that whole thing. Sometimes they can be driven inappropriately because if you were to ask people, so why do you do this? I love helping people. Why do you like to help people? Because it makes me feel better about me. So it's all about you? That's called selfish affection. Makes you feel better about you. You should feel better about you already if your identity is in Christ and then out of that overflow, then you can minister to people. Otherwise, you're gonna be doing it a, a bit manipulative. Here's, here's another way too, and this is one of the ways that uh, adultery takes place, is that oftentimes 
It's being attracted not to a person, but to how this person, person's love makes you feel about yourself. All adulterous relationships, and I've asked guys and gals both, why did you go after, why did you neglect your family and your kids for this person? And typically it's how this person made them feel about themselves. And of course I would say, this is all about you. That's called selfish affection. And guess what? It's not gonna last. You're gonna crash and burn. That's not love. Selfish affection. You're trying to, you got an empty ego. You're trying to fill that void. That's why you went after this person. And so, see, if you try to find intimacy and love, if you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on your own through Christ, all of your relationships become an effort to complete yourself. All you can bring to that relationship is deficit. If you're not coming to Christ regularly and filling your heart up with him, you're not gonna have real love. So you can see the significance of that. Here's the next one, I love joy. Joy's one of my favorite, and I love joy. Delight, the definition is delight in God and his salvation for sheer beauty and worth of who he is and what he has done for us. These are eternal privileges. I mean, his presence alone is enough. Psalm 1611, his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Psalm 63.3, his steadfast love is better than life. Oh my goodness, I love that. There's nothing in life that compares to his steadfast love for you. That's good stuff. Now, the opposite is not sadness because you can actually be sad and have, be filled with joy at the same time because you have to still grieve the hits you take in life. But in the midst of that, there's hope. So the opposite of, of joy would be hopelessness and despair. The counterfeit would be elation that comes with blessings, not the blesser. So this is gonna create mood swings based on circumstances. Now, in the early days of Desert Breeze, you know, I, I, God uh, confronted me with this because I was, I'd get all excited about the numbers and the finances of the church, Woo! and then when they would drop, I'd go, oh. and God would say, wait a minute, that's not joy, that's based on circumstances, I've got something better for you, ooh, and indeed he did. It's in knowing him regardless of the ups and downs of life because this joy is not predicated upon people, things, and circumstances. It's based on the eternal privileges we have in God and who God is. So it's elation. So the counterfeit is elation that comes with blessings, not the blesser. Mood swings based on circumstances. And then peace. How many would like to have more peace in your life? Show of hands. Okay. How many would like to have less worry? Stress and anxiety in your life. Show of hands. Okay. Not very many of you raise your hand. That first service, they're like a stressed out bunch because they all raise their hand. They all raise their hand. But I think, I can't help but think many of you uh, need that more. And this is what it is. Um, it's confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. And you can add love to that. So think about this. If you know that he's perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, and unlimited in his power, and he's working in your behalf. Oh my goodness, you can rest in that. You can rest in that. That's where that peace comes into your life. See, worry is believing that God is going to get it wrong. Bitterness is believing that he did get it wrong. Ugh. What's the opposite? The opposite is anxiety and worry. What's the counterfeit? It's indifference, apathy, not caring about something. 
I don't care. Now, this is what I, I found interesting is that there would be times I'd sit down and talk with a couple and one would be all stressed out and let's just say, for instance, the guy's not stressed out at all. He's like, ah, whatever, I'm not always stressed out. And you'd almost think, well, man, and his, I remember one of the, a wife actually saying, well, my husband, he's so at peace. I go, no, he isn't. He just doesn't give a rip, okay? And, uh, and that was the bottom line because then when I began to prod and press a bit, I found out something that he did care about that got him a little bit stressed out. So it's just a matter of values. So what might stress one person out might not necessarily stress another person out. You guys tracking with me? So just because, so that's, that would be a counterfeit. Well, I'm not stressed out at all, but I'll find something that will stress you out. I'll guarantee you. And so how do you deal with those things that really are important to you? Maybe a few of those over-desires. And so that's, uh, that's peace. Patience is ability to take trouble for others from others or life without blowing up or melting down, to suffer joyfully. So how do you think you're doing in that category? Maybe I need to follow you in the car for a, for a couple days, huh? So ability to take trouble without blowing up or melting down, to suffer joyfully, full of hope. Opposite is resentment toward God and others. Counterfeit would be cynicism, self-righteousness, too small to be bothered with. Kind of an arrogance there. And then this one, I, we've, I forgot this one on, on the list. And so it's kindness. You can put it on the top. You can see there's a place up on the top. It's kindness, not on your notes. The definition is uh, serve others. You're serving others practically out of this deep inner security. So it's an ability to serve others practically in a way that makes, makes you vulnerable. You put yourself out for others. But the reason why you can do that is because you have a deep inner security. Now the opposite of this would be envy, unable to rejoice in others' joy or success. And so you just envy, unable to rejoice in others' joy or success. Counterfeit would be manipulative good, good deeds. You guys familiar with the text that says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing? Well, this is a little bit of what he's talking about here is that you're not looking, you're not doing what you're doing to get the pat on the back, to get the applause. You're not grandstanding. You're not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You're just doing it because you have a deep inner security, you just want to bless people. It's not self-congratulation or self-righteousness. The next one is goodness, it's integrity. The definition is honesty, transparency, being the same in, in one situation as another. The opposite is phoniness and hypocrisy. This, uh, this manifested, the, the, the hypocrisy of this manifested in my life years ago when I was on the fire department and people would say to my wife, <laughs> They'd say, Ray's just the nicest guy to work around. And she would, and she didn't actually say this, but I know that she was thinking deep in her heart, you ought to live with him. <laughs> and I knew that because she had told me that. She goes, boy, they really think the world of you, but you know what? You come home stressed out, and we can't even hardly manage it. And fortunately, she loved me enough to speak that truth to me. Initially, I pushed it back with my anger and my uh, defensiveness, but eventually the Holy Spirit began to work on me and I began to recognize, I'm a big phony. It was all pretense. What I was doing out there wasn't really deep in the heart because listen to me, all I need to do is to hang out with you behind the scenes and ask the people that are closest to you what kind of person you are. That will tell you whether or not you have the legitimate fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because uh, it's going to be seen even more so with those that are closest to you. And boy, that was so convicting for me. And that was, that was when I said, oh, I need you, God. I need you. I need for you to transform my heart. And I'm not going to let fear and pride try to 
restrain my will. Yeah, I could have tried harder, but boy, I was desperate. I knew that my, my heart needs to be changed. I am desperate for you. And that's, that was part of that. The counterfeit is truth without love. It's just getting it off your chest for your sake. You guys know what I'm talking about there? You know the person that comes in there and just tells everybody like it is? I'm just, I just got to get it off my chest. I just got to tell, tell them this because that just bothered me until I get this off my chest. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, do you kind of leave a wake of destruction wherever you go? I mean, have you ever looked at the casualties behind you? And that, that might make you feel better, but it makes the rest of us feel really bad. That's, that's truth without love. Balance it out a little bit. You see, that's, that's the counterfeit. But look at the, uh, the next one, faithfulness. Uh, definition is loyalty, courage, to be principle-driven, committed, utterly reliable, true to one's word. This is trustworthy. By the way, you need to be trustworthy. Why do you need to be trustworthy? Why do you need to be a person of your word? Because it increases intimacy. You're not going to get close to people if there's not some kind of trustworthiness. And if there's not truthfulness. So that begins to in, enhance that. The opposite is an opportunist, fair-weathered friend. You're a chameleon. And then counterfeit would be love without truth. It's being loyal when you should be willing to confront or challenge. Do you see the opposite now? So it's kind of that thing that if people are saying, he's just the nicest guy, we just love hanging out with him. Well, maybe you're too nice. Maybe you need to kind of tell your friends what for once in a while. If you really loved them, see, that's, that's not true faithfulness if you can't speak the truth from time to time to your friends. So there's this balance that the Holy Spirit wants to work in our life. And then you got gentleness. Oh, this is a good one, humility. And so the definition is self-forgetfulness. I love C.S. Lewis's perspective on this in uh, Mere Christianity when, it, when he talks about pride and humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. He goes on and he says, the happiest moments are when we forget our precious selves would have everything else, God, fellow humans, animals, garden, sky, instead. So what this is, is that we are so captivated by the weight of glory of who God is uh, through his word and through creation that we're overwhelmed, we're taken out of ourselves and just kind of enjoying life. We're not self-absorbed and self-consumed. And uh, the opposite would be uh, superiority, self-absorbed, self-aggrandizement, and then counterfeit would be inferiority, self-absorbed, self-conscious. So this is how it works. So pride, there's kind of two sides to this pride. Pride can be seen in boasting. I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. Pat me on the back so I can feel better about myself. That's self-absorption. But it comes also in the form of self-pity. I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. I deserve admiration because I'm going through. That's, both of those are self-absorption and self-centeredness. And so humility is you're taken out of yourself because you're captivated by the beauty and the glory of who God is. He goes on, so what is pride? Pride is simply a concentration on self. C.S. Lewis called it the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self. In other words, pride means constant ego calculation. So you come into a room and you go, oh, those people were laughing. They're probably laughing at me. What are they saying? What's that about? I mean, that's a terrible way to live. Oh, wow, how do I look? Oh, is everything okay? Am I, is my, is my hair okay? Is my, uh, that's a terrible way to live. Remember, the flesh is an empty ego trying to fill itself up on anything other than God. But man, when you're captivated by the glory, you're not thinking about you. You're thinking about him and his glory and letting people see his glory. The last one is self-control. I need to make a correction here. Definition, ability to choose the 
uh, put a line through urgent, put important. Those are supposed to be flipped, actually. I, I, somebody said that in the first service, and I looked it up, and I go, yep, you're right. And so the ability to choose the important over, or the, important over the urgent, or the, the best over the good, there's a lot of good things we can pursue. So this is not letting the good things in life become the enemy of the best. There's a lot of better things in life. It's good to work a little bit of overtime, to make a little bit more money. That's cool. But when you do that to the better things in life, such as your family, your faith, and your own health, then you're letting the good overpower the best in your life. And so the opposite is a driven, impulsive, uncontrolled person. There's no sense of boundaries. Counterfeit is uh, willpower through pride or through more functional idols. This is a person who overcomes their alcoholism through workaholism or exercise-ism working out. How many have ever seen people actually exchange one addiction for another? That's what you don't want to do. That's not actually true self-control. It's exchanging one addiction for another. And so this really has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's wrap it up. This is where we're going. You can just grit your teeth and say, I will be more loving and joyful and peaceful this next week if it kills me. Don't do that. It'll kill you and everybody else around you. You don't want to do that. And in fact, remember, you can restrain the will with fear and pride, but only love can, can change the heart. Here's the key. I put the verse on your notes, John 15, 5. I would encourage you to read this whole text, this whole chapter here, actually John 15, 1 through 17, but I'm just going to read the one verse. I, Jesus, am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. The word abides is about 11 times in this text. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me... You can do nothing. So the key is abide. The Greek is minnow. It means to make your home in. Make your home in his love. Make your home in his truth. Jesus didn't say abide in my fruitfulness, but to abide in him and fruitfulness will follow. Quick story. This is from, it's really a kind of a favorite illustration of mine. Joseph stole from his book, Simply Jesus, experiencing the one your heart longs for. Joseph and his wife, Marty, he says here, Marty and I had been seated next to Dr. Graham at a dinner for the staff and board of his organization. Billy, 80 at the time, was lucid and interesting. Wondering what he would say about his highest joys in life, I asked, of all your experiences in ministry, what have you enjoyed most? Then, thinking I might help him out a little, I quickly added, was it your time spent with presidents and heads of state? Or was it, and before I could finish my next sentence, Billy swept his hand across the tablecloth as if to push my suggestions onto the floor. None of that, he said. By far, the greatest joy of my life has been fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me, having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me. This has been the highest pleasure of my life. I heard that same testimony 
come from the lips of Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, when he was on his deathbed, and it brought tears to my eyes. I was overwhelmed. And, and Bill Bright is, has also accomplished amazing things, and he said, it's about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about walking with Jesus. This is what Joseph, he continues on. He says, it was spontaneous, unscripted, and clearly unrehearsed. There wasn't even a pause. With a life full of stellar experiences and worldwide fame behind him, it was simply Jesus who was on his mind and on his heart. His lifelong experience with Jesus had made its mark, and Billy was satisfied. My wife shared this with me here this last week. She had posted it uh, on Facebook, and it was from a prominent pastor, theologian, a Christian leader who passed away just a few years ago, and he said this, it seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin, but the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love seems to be the key. So let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you know him like that? Have you put your faith in him? And maybe you have union with him, but are you abiding in him? Do you realize that he is life's most satisfying Reality, it's in him. Give your life to him. And not just give your life to him, but, but commune with him regularly. Enjoy him. Only he can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Only he. Let's pray. Father God, your son, your son, our savior, and Lord is the vine and we are the branches and we pray that we would learn how to more and more make our home in Christ, truth and love, saturating ourselves with it, reflecting on it, rejoicing over it, standing in awe and wonder of it as Christ dominates our solitude and absorbs our heart and imagination more than anything in life. May we regularly be swept up into intimate, loving encounters with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in times of prayer, Bible study, and fellowship with our DB family so that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would abound more and more in our everyday lives for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving.